reaches above all the heavens and we lift you we magnify you oh lord jesus we glorify you creator of all let's lift him up together church glorify his name together lift his name above the, all that there is we glorify you lord we magnify you oh lord jesus hallelujah hallelujah you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. You give light. You are love. 
Presence, worship the Lord. Yes, give Him praise, give Him glory. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Thank you, Jesus. If you're a Gamecock fan, I, under, I, I understand why you're discouraged today. But if you're a Clemson fan, man, you ought to be shouting hallelujah in the house today, right? So good to see you here. I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do in our service this morning. I got a couple announcements that I want to make. The first announcement I want to make today is that there's a young lady who has a birthday that I work with every day. Anybody want to guess who she is? That's her. She's hid back here in the corner behind the piano. Would you give her a hand clap today? 53, uh, sorry, eight years old. <laughs> All right, we have a uh, few announcements I want to make, and I'll get right into the Word this morning. We have senior adult choir practice will be taking place. That is going to be next Sunday, October the 8th at 5.30, straight down this room until uh, you run into it. It's the choir room. Do a lot in there. Also, Celebration Sunday. This is a busy time of the year. Celebration Sunday, October the 15th, and it's going to be a homecoming-style meal. So bring enough for you, your family, and I promise you it is going to be a really, really good time. We've not been able to do this together for some time now, so I'm excited to get back together with the church family and share a meal together and celebrate also our church and its history. Gap Hill Meadows, uh, Widows October meeting Tuesday, October 17th at 12 noon. There will be a meal, vegetable beef soup, sausage corn chowder, which is delicious by the way, and cornbread and desserts. This is for widows and the pastor. <laughs> church membership, if interested in joining the church, you're going to meet with me in the choir room. Write this date down, October the 22nd at 945. I'm going to say it again. For church membership, we've had some that have come forward that want to join. I want to give them the opportunity to do so. So if you have not yet joined and you're interested, October 22nd at 945 in that choir room, straight down this hallway, 
is where we're going to be meeting. And I can answer any questions you may have, tell you a little bit about what, what the church is about and all of that. Then after, we'll have also church joining and baptism on Family Day, October the 29th. So it is going to be fun. I'm going to be from here to the baptismal pool. It's going to be a blast for y'all. Uh, <laughs> Fall Festival, October 29th. You don't want to miss it. From 5 to 7.30, we're going to be having our Fall Festival. It's going to be a fun time. We've got all kinds of vendors that are going to be coming out. And I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Good food, fellowship, going to have a, a costume contest. And um, I don't know what we're going to give you yet, but we'll come up with some kind of good gifts. You're not going to want to miss it. All right? I want to preach today, if the Lord would help me, a sermon entitled, Barak, Praise for Helpless People. In the book of Daniel, let's go to chapter 4, begin at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power? Be careful when you lift yourself up too much. Proud people and haughty spirits will fall flat on their face. Stay humble. Dwelling by my mighty power for the honor of my majesty. What he's saying is I have built this kingdom for myself. While the word was still in the king's mouth. This is an interesting passage of scripture. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven came and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass. I want everybody to picture this. A king in the field eating grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. That represents, it's going to happen for seven years. Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomever he chooses. In other words, this is not your kingdom. It's my kingdom. I think sometime in church we kind of get that ideology. Some pastors get that ideology and this God-like figure, this... To where they think that it's their kingdom and God will let them know really, really quick like, this is not your kingdom, it's my kingdom. Church members can even get out of hand sometimes and say, well, I run the church, what I say goes. Slow it down for just a minute. It is not your kingdom, it is his kingdom. And so God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I am going to show you who I really am. Now, you may wonder why, you can go back to the title screen, you may wonder why I'm using the word uh, Barak today, but the reason I'm using Barak is, and obviously you can read the story of, of Barak and Deborah in the Bible, and I'm not preaching that today, so I don't even want to go into that. That's another sermon, but I do want to use that word because when you look up that word in the Hebrew language, this is what it means. It means to bless, or another word is to kneel. Everybody know what kneel is, correct? Everybody understand. You, you, you know what they started a few years ago when we sang our national anthem. Don't, don't everybody shout it once you ruin my message. I'm not even going there. But to kneel typically represents a posture. 
And it is typically in the Christian community to kneel means that you are in fervent prayer before an all-powerful God. Now, I want you to understand, the word knelt, when I looked it up in the Bible, I was studying Saturday morning, I'm like, well, where in the Bible did they kneel? And so the first scripture I came on was Solomon, and there's many of them. He is dedicating the temple to God. But the Bible said that he knelt down and he began to pray. It's a beautiful prayer, chapter 6 and chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. You can read it. And he ends where, if my people which are called by my name, I preached that just a few weeks back, will humble themselves and pray. I'm going to send a revival to you pretty much is what he says. I'm going to heal your land. But when he knelt down, the Bible said that the fire from heaven fell and consumed the altar. So we can automatically connect prayer to the fire. So isn't it amazing that in, in modern church today, do you understand the fire represents the working of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, however you would like to prefer to him, the third person of the Godhead, when we pray? What God is showing us is that when we pray, the fire will fall. He kneels. And then we look at Daniel. Daniel was told, you cannot pray. We're going to throw that man that prays in a den of lions. What does he do? The Bible said he opened up his windows towards Jerusalem three times a day. And what did he do? He knelt down and he prayed. But thank God for prayer because when he got in the lion's den and they were literally starved to where they would be hungry so when they threw a body over, guess what they did? It's 101, folks. You know what happens. They devour them. They eat them all the way down to the bone they're gnawing on them. But when Daniel got thrown in there because he knew how to kneel and to pray, God showed up and he said, My God has sent an angel and he has shut the mouth of the lion. I read of a man named Stephen in the Bible. He is stoned. But while he is being stoned, do you know what the Bible said he did? He knelt down and he began to pray, Father, forgive them. Basically what Jesus prayed. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them for their sins. But when he knelt down, guess what happened? He said, I see Jesus. What is the point? I don't care how helpless or hopeless the situation is. To the man or the woman that will kneel down and pray. What I am telling you is there is a God that will come where you are. And he will help you out of your helpless situation. When, when, when you look at the, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking, not, not only, when, when I read in my Bible, Jesus. I went on to Jesus. And Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? What did he do? He knelt down and prayed. He went a stone cast further, and the Bible said he fell on his face. He is literally in a lame posture, it sounds like. He fell on his face, and he began to pray. And angels came in his helpless, what seems to be a hopeless situation, in the lowest point of his life, but angels came and they ministered unto him. Now, some of you that are old school and understand good old holiness, folks, you'll remember Grandpa, and you remember when they asked him, Paul, would you say the blessing? saying, Jesus, please, we just got out of church. 
And old Pa would get back, he'd pull the chair back. Next thing you know, he's down like this. Dear God of heaven. And you're just sitting there thinking, oh man, this is going to be a while. Wouldn't you love to take Pa to one of these restaurants today? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take him to the Mexican restaurant today and just let him say the blessing? He prayed for the whole place down on bended knee. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Kneeling is not the only way that you can pray. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But kneeling, the pros of it is it means reverence, right? Traditionally, it is reverence to bow down. It is humility before God. It allows us to get into a focus mode to where we focus on who we're praying to. What's the cons? I got bad knees, preacher. We don't want you to get down there if you can't get back up. All right? Now, we got some altar workers that help you today and assist you if you want to come to the altar and pray. But the point is, sometimes people are unable to do so. My point is simply this, that we can get so casual in our prayer lives that the prayer that we're praying begins to lose its power in our life. If you were to go to the Holy Lands today, that's Jerusalem, and you were to go over there and you were to observe where they're praying at, you would find that there are people that have literally, some of them have spread mats out or, or some type blanket out. And they are down on their knees and they are literally rocking in a back and forth motion. It is called shackling to the Jewish people. That's what they call it. But they get down and that is their posture of prayer. When is the last time that you as a Christian blocked out time and you blocked the world out around you? And you knelt down and you prayed to the God of the universe. Now this is where it gets good at. Not only praying for yourself, right? But blessing other people. Prayer is not just about me. And my needs and my wants and my desire. Prayer is about praying and blessing other people as well. I read in my Bible where the Bible said that Job prayed for his friends. He had been going through hell on earth. He literally was losing everything that he had. But the Bible said it this way. That when Job had prayed for his friends. That God turned the fortune of Job. And gave him two times more than he had before the trial started. But it did not happen until first he had prayed for his friends. There is a blessing not only for the other person. But there is also a blessing for us when we choose to pray for our friends. It's true. So in my text, I've got a man named Nebuchadnezzar. He's a king. He literally lost it. That means, a.k.a., this guy went crazy. He lost his mind. You read the scripture with me, right? He goes crazy. A matter of fact, he is a brilliant man. He's, he's not some dummy. He's a brilliant man that became a beast. Literally became a beast. For seven years, I've got a king that is walking around on all fours, crawling around like a dog, like a cow, like an oxen in the field. He lives in the forest. He eats like an animal. He grazes in the pasture like an animal. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I go out in the churchyard today and some of y'all chewing on the grass, we're calling help for you immediately. Because you too have went crazy. Right? He's out there in the field. They see their king for seven years. God is humbling 
himself down. They lose their self-respect. They become people. See, this is what happens when, when we choose to walk away from God. We too, we, we lower ourselves to our self-respect for ourselves. We, we, we become, we, be, we, we aren't the people at that point that God has created us to be. We even can lose our dignity if we walk away from God. I have watched people in the church for years and years. I've been in this thing ever since before I was born in my mama's womb, I was in the church house, all right? And I've seen people in the church that were on fire for God. But once they started walking away from God, guess what they begin to live like? They begin to live like a bunch of animals. Are you ready for this? Because let, let, let me show you what happens. Whether we want to face it or not, there is a beast inside every one of us. Right? Now we want to talk about the good side, but there's a negative side in every one of us. There is a beast in every one of us. And if you get away from God, do you know what will happen? That beast is going to come alive in your life. To Timothy, a young pastor, do you know what his beast was? It was fear. He was afraid he couldn't please his church. I'm a young pastor. I don't know what to do. I mean, these people are older than me. They've got more experience than me. Who am I to come in here and try to pastor these folks? And the apostle Paul came to him and said, Son, it's time for you to get back close to God. I laid hands on you when you were a boy. The anointing is on you. And I need to remind you that God has not given you a spirit of fear. But you are a man of God of power and anointing and love. You just hang in there. God has something for you to do. But that beast tries to rise up in us. A matter of fact, the beast inside of the apostle Peter, right? We talked last week about Peter and we talked about how the, in the Bible his literal shadow was healing people. That's crazy. I've never heard of such a thing. Can you imagine walking by somebody that's lame and your mere shadow? Where's my shadow? Here it is back here. If my shadow just, what in the world? Never even lay hands on him. Don't even speak in tongues. Don't even get anointed on and splash it on them. You just simply walk by. You talk about a man that's got power with God. But there was a beast inside of Peter. And the, do you know what that beast was? I'll call it a beast of anger. He had a temper issue. A matter of fact, the Bible said that Peter cut off a man's ear. And then the Bible said he began to follow Christ afar off. He got further and further away from Christ. And that beast began to reveal itself in Peter's life. A matter of fact, the Bible went on to say that he denied God three times that he never knew. He ran around cussing and raging. Literally. He cussing out everybody. Do you know Jesus? He just cussed them right out. This is a man of God, but a beast is inside of him. When you look at Samson, he's a man of lust. He ended up bound too, is what the Bible tells us, because he lusted at the women that he should not have. The beast comes alive in Nebuchadnezzar. And for seven whole years, he is in that condition. But there comes a day that Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes to heaven, is what my Bible says. And when he lifted up his eyes to heaven, he could not speak. Does your dog talk to you? 
Do y'all ever go out to the field and talk to the cows as they chew the cud? If you do, then they think you're weird, right? That's why they look at us that way. The point is, animals don't talk. Sure, parrots, but we're not talking about a parrot here. This guy is not even able to talk, but he is able to fix his gaze on Jesus. And the Bible said that he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He cannot, cannot speak. He cannot talk. But in his helpless state, he cannot help himself. He does not have the power to do it within himself. He doesn't have the answer. But in his helpless state, he turned his eyes towards heaven. And guess what? Not only did he catch a glimpse of God, but God caught a glimpse of him. And what a powerful thought when we think that God turned his attention back to him after seven long years. When Peter denied God, do you know what the Bible says happened? The cock crew, just like he said, Jesus said it would, right? After the cock crows, the Bible said that Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. In other words, their eyes connected. And when they turned their gaze towards one another, the Bible said that Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how that he would deny him three times. The Spirit of God came on a helpless man, a bitter man, an angry man, a man that literally is cussing people out just a few sentences before this. But after that moment, the Bible said he went out and he began to cry and weep bitterly, God forgive me. The beast inside of us but God understands body language. In other words, you don't have to say one word. And God can tell by your body language what you're trying to tell him. When Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven, God could see a helpless soul that wanted help. Isn't that amazing? He never speaks a word. He never says a thing. He just simply looks up and God says, I understand that. If you understand that fact that I'm preaching to you, that God understands body language, you would never come to church the same way again. Why? Because when you come during praise and worship service and your arms are crossed, and your legs are folded. God's watching. When you come to church and you're pouting and you're pouty and you're bitter and you're sitting there looking down as if you've lost your best friend, remember God is watching you. If we could ever grab the fact that there is a God that is watching our body language when we come to the house that we say is the Lord's house to worship the Lord, but he sees us in a posture that says the total opposite. Is God not saying, is that my Lord, help my people to turn back to me, to kneel down on their face again, on their knees again, and pray and call on me for a move of my spirit. God is absolutely watching everything. I love it, ladies and gentlemen. God knows my body language. So if God in heaven can see eyes when they look toward him, 
What in the world would he do with those people that were willing as Beth and this praise team just saying that would throw up their hands, lift up their hands, lift up their heart, lift up their mouth, lift up their voices to the God above and begin to actually give him a praise. God is watching. I don't know if mama and grandma were just trying to scare me, but anytime I did anything bad, I will never forget the words, God's watching, son. Anybody remember those words? And you get ready to say, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. Anybody ever seen the Jesus picture where he follows you with his eyes? Does that scare y'all as much as it does me? I mean, do you just want to take a towel in somebody's house and cover up the picture? That's just weird, ain't it? But the point is very... Makes sense, right? That that's the way God is. He's an all-watching eye. And there is nowhere that I will go. There is nothing that I won't do that God isn't watching me. So watch out for your body language. Because just as God sees you when you do bad, God also sees your eyes when you fix them towards him. And you're in a helpless situation. But even though you don't say anything, all you're doing is looking up. God's saying, there goes a praise coming from their heart. They've lifted up their self to me. They have humbled themselves down. God sees that. And God God will respond to the person when they are helpless. This is powerful. But you know, praise is, we talk about praise all the time, right? Praise is, is a pretty common thing. But it is unique to people that are in a helpless situation. Everybody got me? It's one thing to praise God on a typical Sunday morning and everything's going great. It's typical. We're church folks. We've been raised in this way. We know when to kick. We know when to wave. We know when to do whatever the motions are. We got it figured out. But you can tell a praise that's coming from someone that is in a helpless situation. It's different. You... Now, I've seen Hollywood. I don't know if they, if they roll their eyes back. I have contacts in today. I don't know if they pull their eyes back, Angie, and drop drops in them right before the scene where they're just crying away. Maybe there's people that can turn it on and off like that, perhaps. But there's a different kind of cry from a helpless person. I've seen people get in the altar that were helpless, and it was nasty. No. It was nasty. There's snot flying everywhere. Oh, God, help them. And guess what? They don't even care. There's a difference in a helpless praise and let's just go through the motions praise. And we're throwing them tissues and we're putting them in their hand. And then I've even seen some of the sisters. I saw one lady one night. She was just a snot and we were stuffing her hands full of tissues just praying to God she'd wipe it. And she never did. She just got, and then finally one of the elders decided, I'm just going to wipe it for, Jesus help us. And she goes, she wipes and says, come on, honey, you just keep on praying. There's something about a helpless praise. And my goodness, if I can see it, Brian, you know good and well God can. If I can tell when somebody walks through the church and they are burdened and they're in a situation that they know they can't help, only God can do I can see it. So if I can see it, don't you think this God that loves you so much that he died for you, that he doesn't see it and care about where you are right now? 
I believe God's made a special place for people who've lost a loved one. I believe God's got a special place for people that have praised him even when they watched their child die. I believe God's got a special place for people that have been through trials like Job and they've watched their house fall to the ground or even burn down. Or they've seen their children or, their, or family members that, that have just, just drugged themselves to the oblivion or drank themselves to the oblivion. But yet they still come to church on Sunday and they still give God praise. There is something about that that's special. My daddy drank for years and years. My entire life, all I ever knew my father as was drinking liquor. Crown Royal by name. Every now and then a little Spryat. I'm not very good at mixed drinks. I have no idea what's going on with this. Some of you may have experience. He'd pour Sprite in it. He'd pour Pepsi in it. All kinds of drinks. And he'd pour that crown in there. And he'd just drink, drink, drink. I thought to myself, my mother, she'd come home She'd pray for that man. You talk about helplessness, helpless situation. But I watched her and I admired her for years because I watched her every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Thursday night, oftentimes when we went to revival. And I thought to myself, if there's anybody in the house that shouldn't be praising God today, it is probably her because I lived in that and I knew what she dealt with, but I watched her every single servant. And do you know who was the loudest praiser in the house? It it was my mama. Do you know who was the one praying in the altar more than anybody else? It was my mama because Barak tells us that God has a special place when we praise him from a helpless heart. Helpless people. There is something special about that. It is the praise for helpless people. For people, do not, they do not have the answer anymore. They do not know what to do anymore. And I promise you that if you live long enough, you're going to find yourself in a helpless place. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Amen. i got to hurry. Nebuchadnezzar was cut down, but after seven years, the Bible said he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And as he began to praise, he began to change. Well, some of y'all ain't getting this yet. Y'all ain't getting it. Let, let me read the scripture because I want to give you a better description. Y'all don't understand how bad this is, all right? Let's, let's, go, to, let's go to verse 34 of Daniel chapter 4. Verse 34 is where I want to be. Watch this. And at the end of the time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now, you got to understand, this guy has literally grown claws like a talon. He's grown feathers like an animal, like a, like a bird, right? This guy is in rough shape. But I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. I got my brain back, in other words. I got my sanity back. I had gotten to where I couldn't think clearly. But all of a sudden, when I began to praise... Barak, from a helpless place, as I began to praise, my understanding returned to me, and I began to bless the Most High. I praise and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will. The 
in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. See what God's doing for a man that's helpless, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he reminded us, he is able to cut them down. Now, in the first part of our text, the Bible says that he was bound with a band of iron and bronze. A man that is bound... All of a sudden, as he began to praise God, he began to cut loose his destiny. In other words, he cut loose the bands from his life and released destiny into his life once again. God can cut loose your grandchildren and your children that are bound. God can cut loose your husband that won't come to church. God can do that. God can cut loose your finances. God can cut loose your potential. God can cut loose your calling, your ministry, your anointing that has been bound. God can cut it loose. I was reading in my Bible Saturday, and I read of a man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was bound. Anybody remember what he was bound by? He was bound by grave clothes. But what did God say? He said, the things that have bound him, you loose him and let him go. And I need somebody in this building to know that if you have been bound by iron and by fetters and by chains, I came to tell you today on the authority, not of myself, but on the authority of this great God that I'm preaching about, that there's a God that can come into your situation. He did it for Nebuchadnezzar. He did it for Lazarus. And I want to tell somebody, he is going to do it for you if you will lift up your eyes to heaven in the middle of your helplessness. There's a God that you should declare it today, all right? I am tired of being tied up. Loose my family from chains. Loose this marriage that is struggling. Loose my future. Loose my calling. Loose my potential. I've been tied up long enough. I've been held back long enough. I've been chained up long enough. Loose me now in Jesus' name. Today I do not know what that helpless place in your life may be. But I dare you, I dare you to lift up your eyes to heaven. I dare you. Do y'all remember growing up in school, we used to do that? Anybody remember the dares? Thank you, Brian. Do you, and y'all wonder why I do that. I'm not thinking I'm some mighty person. It's just because these tops literally will not come off. Ask him, he'll tell you. It's the truth. They're making them cheaper and cheaper. I dare you to, to eat that dog food. Oh, y'all don't know what dares is. This is when I was a boy. We were raised rough. And they were hesitant. But if you could ever say the words, I double dog dare. That is next level. 
We had a guy that came to teach at our school from Pennsylvania. God bless his soul. And we were sitting one night playing a game and we started daring. There was some dog food in a little can, the soft stuff, to which somebody said, I dare you to eat the dog food. He said, I ain't eating that dog food. Somebody said, I'll give you $5. He said, give me the thing. I'm thinking that's cheap. And he sat there and he ate that dog food. As we all about threw up together. I dare you. I double dog dare you today to quit looking down in despair. I double dog dare you to quit looking down thinking this is the end. I am helpless. There is nothing better that is going to come for me other than what? It's not going to get any better. Nothing's going to change. I double dog dare you today. You don't have to say a word. You don't even have to make a shake of the hand and a kick of the foot. All that I dare you today is with a helpless, desperate heart to look up towards heaven and say, God, I know you're up there somewhere and I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Barak said all you got to do is kneel and believe and God will answer your prayers. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting with this. I'm quitting with this. There is no situation that God cannot get you out of. There is no case that has bound you up so greatly that he cannot loose it from you right now in Jesus' name. I could tell you the story today, but I want to take the time to read the scripture. I'm going to close with this. Go into the piano, whoever's piano, keyboard, wherever y'all going. All right, here we go. Take me to Mark chapter 5. I got a lot of scriptures here, but I'm going to read it to you because this is powerful. Jesus and the disciples, they went across the lake of the region of the Gerasians. Watch this. When Jesus got out of the boat, are you ready for this? A man with an impure spirit, there's a beast, literally, that is rising up inside of this man. He comes from the tombs, the place of death, the place where dreams are dead, the place where hope is dead. You go to the graveyard, right? What kind of hope do you have? Only believers that believe in the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. That's the only hope you have. But those people that are in that grave, there's no more hope that they're going to get a better job on earth. They really don't want it if they're in heaven. But point is, dreams have died. He comes out of the tombs to meet him. This man, he lived in the tombs. He stayed in the darkness. He stayed in a helpless state. It is not because the man wanted to. But the beast inside of him kind of forced him to. Watch this. No one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained. They've tried it, right? They want to bind him up, literally bind him up physically. He's often been bound chained hand and foot. But guess what the beast did? He tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this helpless man would run around naked and he would cry out and he would literally cut himself with stones. You know why they say people cut themselves? 
because of the pain that is on the inside. Externally, they try to take that pain away. That's not the answer, folks. That's not the answer. I had a teenage boy call me several years back. I was sitting in New York Church of God. Never forget it. I was sitting on the computer, and I remember when he called me, and he said, Pastor, I've just cut myself. To which I said, what? You cut yourself? He said, yeah, I'm going to show you. And he took a picture, and he had gashed. I mean, his leg was just gashed wide open. And I said, son, if you're not going to call the, the ambulance, I'm going to have to call them right now. You've got to get help. People trying to get rid of the pain that is inside. But when he fixed his gaze and saw Jesus at a distance, Now, I want you to embody everything I preached to you today into this one scripture. He ran and he fell on his knees. He knelt in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, This is not the man speaking. This is the beast inside of the man that is speaking. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, you don't torture me. See, this is what I see in my scriptures. This, As that man sets his gaze on Jesus, I believe he was much like Nebuchadnezzar. There is literally a beast inside of him. But when he caught the eyes of Jesus, I'm, oh, I feel this today. I believe that what God saw was a desperate, helpless cry of praise from a helpless man. Behind the eyes of sadness and darkness and pain and hopeless and helplessness, God said there's somebody right there behind the beast that is in the forefront. There's a man in there that wants me to save him. Jesus said unto that beast, Come out of this man, you unpure or impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name's Legion, he replied. We're many. He begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So Jesus gave him permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about how many? 2,000. Do you understand? There are 2,000 beasts living inside of this man. Pastor, why are you making a big deal of this? Because I'm telling you, if a man had 2,000 beasts in him and God could loose him and set him free, my goodness, he can handle your situation. That's what I'm trying to get you to see today. 2,000 in number. They rushed down a steep bank into the lake. They were drowned. Now that's money. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened when they came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons that they had tied up, wrapped up, and tried to keep him out of. He's sitting there. He's not naked anymore. Because just like Nebuchadnezzar, when the beast left, his mind became to... As he began to pray and praise, he began to change. This helpless man, he is sitting there, he is dressed, his mind has returned, he is in his right mind. And they were afraid. Why are they afraid? Because Jesus has just done the impossible and they don't know how to take it. 
They don't know how to receive it. They can't understand it. They can't explain it. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Isn't that a shame? We've just had a feast. A man with 2,000 demons cast out. Let's start revival tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Whenever God gets finished with this revival, we'll call the end of it. Something like that happened. I'm going to be on Facebook talking about, oh my God, revivals broke out. Come on, folks. I ain't shutting the church down for it. They said, you go ahead and you leave. And Jesus was getting into the boat. This is what I want you to see. The man who had been possessed, he hasn't said a word yet. But he comes to Jesus and he begs him, let me go with you. Jesus did not let him and he said, you go home to your own people and you tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, to talk in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. This guy that couldn't talk, this guy that was literally a beast, and God said, all I want you to say is you go out there and you tell them how you were bound. You tell them how hopeless your situation was. You tell them how that the city had given up on you. You tell them how you really felt deep inside because you thought your life was over. But when you looked at me, I could see a helpless man. And I heard your helpless praise through your body language. You never said a word, but I knew now you go open your mouth and you tell people the good things that Jesus has done for you. Let's all stand. I'm closing today. Today I want you to pray this prayer. It is very simple. It is a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. It is a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I surrender my situation to you. I need you to untie my destiny. Satan has tied me up and bound me up. But there's so much potential in me. There's so many great things I could do for your kingdom. I'm asking you to untie me, loose me, and let me go. See, there's, there's one thing the Bible said. And I didn't read the whole story to you. Because time would not permit me today. I've preached long enough. But when you read the story, this is what God told him. He said to him, he tells him, he says, you are going to be changed to a thing. The Bible said in the vision that he saw, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar about it, Nebuchadnezzar said it. He said, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, let beasts get out from under it, let the birds get off of its branches. But look at this. He said, nevertheless, I want you to leave the stump and the roots in the earth. In other words, I'm going to cut you down. But it is not going to be the end. There is still going to be life underneath the soil. And I need somebody to believe today with me. That even though you may have been cut down. You have not been dug up. 
And there is still something underneath that soul. There is still something waiting to bloom, to come to fruition in your life. The blood is cleansing you. The power of the Holy Spirit is loosing and untying you. It is loosing you from every chain. In Jesus' name, you pray to God and say, In Jesus' name, I am free. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word today. It is my prayer that something I've said today would bless somebody. That it would help them to understand where they are. That it would help them to understand God knows where they are. And God can read their body language today. And all it takes is a simple glance up. For some, all it's going to take is just kneeling down and calling out to God. But Barak teaches us there's praise for hopeless people. And there's a special place that God has for those people. He loves them so much. Loose people and let them go in Jesus' name. The altars are always open today. But I want Beth and Brian to sing this song. Would you? So, so I throw my hands.
I praise you today. I thank you for your power. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you've done today. People have recognized today that all they have to do is look up to you. Because in our helplessness, that's exactly what it is. It is, in fact, our helplessness. That means, in layman terms, we cannot help ourselves. We cannot help the situation, regardless of how much we stress about it, how much we worry about it, how much we try to do about it. We finally understand I'm helpless. It is in those moments, I believe, that we release it and we give it to you, that you step in and say, it's okay. I needed you to realize you can't do anything about it. I need you to look to me. Because I can. Today, in Jesus' name, we release that word over this congregation. Everybody here, I declare it so in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout praise the Lord. God bless you.